Welcome to Third and Nerd, the show that breaks down everything nerd culture with a little sports thrown in. On the show, you'll hear discussions about the latest superhero movies, TV shows, and comics as well. You'll even hear interviews from the artists and writers who helped create the characters you know and love. So strap on your super suits and fire up your flux capacitors, because here are your hosts, Josh Webb and Adam Howes. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special third nerd. Uh, before we get right into it, I am pleased to announce that this week is with Adam. It's always a will he, won't he. Uh, we have a little bit of fun with it. Adam, how you doing, man? I knew you weren't oh. going to miss this one. <laughs> I'm good, man. I'm, I'm still I'm still feeling a bit sick, but I'm much better than I was last week. So apologies for uh, my, my lack of... Uh, I was sick too, man. Like it hit, it hit everyone. Like I got hit with it the week before. Like, it's just, I feel like it's been going around. It may be a, it may have just taken a while to get to you, you know, that we're not in the the same country. Well, yeah, well, that's it. We're in the thick of winter and here. And at the moment here in Melbourne, uh, there is like flu epidemic pretty much. So yeah, it's, it's, it's in the air. It's in the air. Well, stay away from people as much as you can at your job bartending and running a running a an establishment. You should be like, you know, I don't I don't feel like engaging in customer service today. I don't want to get sick. No, 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 no. Not an option. Yeah, I know. Well, uh, Adam, I know you're excited for this one and we're excited for it. So we'll stop dilly dallying and get right to it. Uh, We have managed to set up uh, two individuals who were paramount in creating such a large portion of my childhood. And I'm sure they've heard this a million times at cons uh, and, and things of the like, uh, but not only are, are these two responsible, directly responsible for bringing X-Men, the animated series to Fox when we were kids. Yes, that X-Men series. Uh, they have also documented their tales in a book, which is phenomenal. If you get the chance to read it, it's called Previously on X-Men. Uh, and it is the Leewalds, Eric and Julia, a husband and wife team who've been at this for, gosh, how many years have you guys been at this? Um, <laughs> should, should we admit that? Yeah, really. <laughs> we, we, we met at Disney in uh, 19, 1988. Wow. So you yeah. guys can do the math. Yeah, yeah. or jumps. 
or don't. So, so X Men the animated series was was fairly early on in 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 your guys's relationship, so to speak, in the grand scheme of things. It, it Indeed, re- it really it really was. I'd been I'd been on staff at Hanna Barbera for a, a little over a year, and then it, it, we were each at Disney for three years. But it was the second big gig we had after leaving Disney. Uh, uh, did a year of Beetlejuice, but it was the first network show that I was ever showrunner on, and so it, from, we, the, from the early development stage, yeah, all from the way through. from from the beginning to the end. So it was a. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was a challenge. I, I did <laughs> I did I probably didn't have the the credits I should have had, but uh, I luckily I, got in on it. Thank God you did, because I can only imagine the way that some of these shows could have gone. And and you know, I sit and I think about this stuff because it really was sort of a a, a, a nation MCU, if you will. Like the, these back then, you you. You had a variety of shows, none, well, only one, I would say, Spider-Man in the 90s that sort of had that critical acclaim and you could argue uh, longevity that the X-Men had. But there certainly were a variety of shows back then with with, with the Marvel Action Hour um, and you had, you know, Fantastic Four, Tony Stark, Iron Man. Um, and, and Silver Surfer got his own. I, I think he was supposed to get his own. I don't remember how it really went. Um, but but you guys were responsible for, for sort of creating this vast world. But if you read the book, you find out that though you knew you had this vast world, you knew pretty early on that you wanted to set – like one of the things that stood out to me in the book was a quote that you guys said like, we won't go to space. And I read that and I was like, I have to imagine if I were an X-Men fan and I read that, that that wouldn't have made me happy. But at the same time, you guys did end up going to space, of course. Uh, but you guys knew early on that you wanted to confine it to earth and and to relationships as you guys get into what was it about like how did you narrow in on that creative decision yeah well it's odd to think back to 92 because uh there hadn't really been there had not been any marvel movies at all and when they hired us for this there had the previous attempts at marvel tv shows have been kind of hit and miss um and so they didn't have much uh, expectations that this would be successful. I mean, Hollywood had didn't wasn't really looking for it to, to work. And luckily, the people at, at Fox said, uh, we want character stories. And we did, and the, the had art people uh, involved, Will Minio and Larry Houston. Everybody on the show had the same idea. We want these to be adult character stories. And that really... That would, was, you know, everything flowed from that, and it allowed us to make a very different kind of show than we'd been allowed to make before that. Also, um, Eric, your decision with uh, sort of co- your co-writer Mark Edens when you two were when you got the assignment to develop X Men the animated series for TV, you had a very short development schedule, and you were only been told <clears throat> you get thirteen episodes. We're going to assume this isn't going to make it. So you have 13 episodes to tell all the X-Men stories you want to tell. Here's your 13 options. And you guys made the executive decision very early on to uh, focus on the, the human issue, uh, the human, the friends of humanity, 
rage against the mutants, make it personal on the human scale and bring in the Sentinels as, as that versus starting off with big intergalactic battles with other like powered mutants. Yeah. You know, Cause another reason we wanted to keep it simple the first season, and this is hard to imagine now, but in 1992, what we were told was probably 85 to 90% of our audience on TV wouldn't know who the X-Men were. I mean, it was a, it was a successful comic, but there just weren't that many people on the planet that had heard of them. So we wanted to make sure that everybody understood their place in the human world first before we started put putting them up against a bunch of supervillains or throwing them out into having intergalactic uh, adventures. So we wanted to kind of ground it in how these people um, are are accepted or not accepted by the human beings around them. And that was uh, that first season was very focused on that. I'll tell you, man, that first episode really did grab me for that reason. It's like I said, you know, if I'd have read that as a fan, I'd have been like, uh, but, but, but it's those going against your better instincts. Sometimes it may, that's what makes it well against all, my better instincts. It would have been, but that's what made it work. That's, that's exactly what drew people in is, is you, you had that young teenager in Jubilee who didn't feel like she fit in at home and how many people people that related to right off the bat and drew them in and just just keeping it not only on earth but for for lack of a better term in a mall in, <laughs> in that first episode like you guys really got the teenage experience like especially back when we were kids you know that that the mall people these days maybe don't understand how important the mall was to youth development but good lord i spent countless hours in malls as a child. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I really felt that as a kid. And I thought one thing was really, really interesting, too, and then I'll kick it over to Adam, is, I, you know, you read early on that that you guys had a, a go-ahead for the type of look that the X-Men had, and then all of a sudden you were told, oh, no, 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 you can't use that look. And, and of course, we all know it was the Jim Lee look that they approved, and then it was the Jim Lee look that they backed out of and said, no, we can't have anything to do with that. And at the time, you guys are like, what the heck is going on? We now know it's because of 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 the walkout by the, the, the guys who went ahead and formed Image Comics. But how how was that? I mean, you guys kind of made it seem simple in the book, like – but, but when that was going on, how taxing was that? Were you like, holy crap, now we have to reanimate this? Or did it kind of come and go as quickly as it came? Oh, no. I'm, I'm going to jump in and say welcome to Hollywood, where, <laughs> where decisions that, that matter tremendously, uh, you don't necessarily get the answers you're expecting or the reasons behind anything. That That's kind of how it rolls around here. Yeah, and you don't know who's got the leverage and and to, to make something happen or not happen or you know who's put the money in or who it doesn't who gets to make the final decision on this and so there was about three days there where we thought we thought well the show is screwed and it's just uh, we're gonna have to redo a month's worth of work and we're never gonna make our deadlines and it's gonna look wrong but luckily you know the right people fought it yeah you know, in the book do you want to do you want to tell that quick anecdote to oh, sort of lure people into buying sure. the book of how you guys <laughs> yeah. wound up back with the jim lee images yeah. because yeah. this is a boss move by will yeah yes. yeah will yes. will Minio, the head designer who knew this was the right look 
and who had been told, look, you've got to change it. Marvel has just made this dick to said, no, no more Jim Lee. It's out of the question. And so he, instead of, instead of throwing a fit, I mean, he, he resisted it, but said, so it's okay, fine. And he wrote, he sat down and he redesigned the team in a, in a really goofy Hanna-Barbera-ish looking group of X-Men and sent it in seriously <laughs> to Stanley, to the Marvel uh, headquarters, to Fox Television, to the production company and sent his new designs and said, here you go, here's a different look. And everybody went just crazy. And that shocked them into realizing, okay, we're not going to do this political thing over Jim Lee leaving. The look, the lo original look is right. We're not going to change it. But it took Will doing that and uh, and could have gotten fired for yep, doing it. Easily. Yeah. And he didn't tell you that he did it either. Oh, no, no. <laughs> he, just, he just sent him out. And we looked at him and, and, you know, what is going on? By the time we saw them, the, the crisis was over. So we didn't have like a, a weekend of thinking it's going to look like this, but there were people that did. And that, you know, that saved the day. Uh, and he, he had the nerve two or three times to do stuff like that, that he said, in effect saying, we're not going to change this show and, and ruin it. If you're going to try, you know, you can fire me, but I'm not going to change it. Adam, do you want to, do you want to jump in here? Yeah, I, I'd like to just uh, go back to obviously um, prior to the show being aired and, and the whole creative process and whatnot. And I just want to know if you had any influence at all over um, the the team that was picked because I know obviously uh, it was mainly the blue team that was used in the show and a couple of members of the gold team, uh, or did that was just mainly a directive that came straight from Marvel, or, or how did that? What's the story behind who was picked for the show as the characters? There were there were, there were a lot, like half a dozen people that had input on that, and it's it's strange to think back now since Marvel is such a huge eight hundred pound gorilla, and if they were doing a show now, they would have a micromanaging on everything. Yeah. At the time, Fox was our boss, and Marvel was licensing the show, and Marvel actually didn't have final cut on this. If Fox liked something and Marvel didn't. It stayed in the show, which is just shocking thinking back to it. But back to the team, um, uh, Fox was interested in who would be the most appealing characters on a TV, on an animated show. Uh, Marvel was interested in pushing recent people, like uh, Jubilee and Gambit were very recent. Uh, Cable was recent. Uh, mm -hmm. There were uh, people that they were pushing in the book, so they had a feel for that. Um, and the artists had people they liked to draw. Uh, and we just we all talked it through that first day and threw out a bunch of names. Um, the I and the, the head writer work, writer that worked with me, Mark Edens, who were laying out the first thirteen stories. We really didn't know the X Men books before we got this job, so we didn't have an agenda. We were just trying to put together the most diverse, varied, complementary team. We didn't want like five big gruff guys. We didn't want. Wolverine and Cable and Thunderbird and you know like we, we didn't want six GI Joes. We wanted as different a group of characters as we could get because that makes for better stories. Mm -hmm. That was our only interest at the time. And so that first meeting, about half a dozen were picked, and believe it or not, Beast and Jean Grey were not necessarily uh, were, were not picked as as core members. 
And that's why Beast is, is, is in prison in the first story, because we thought we'd introduce him in the first story, and then he'd stay in prison for eight or nine episodes, and we'd see him again at the end. But as we were laying out the stories, as Mark and I were laying out the first 13 stories, certain characters like Beast and Gene kind of asserted themselves. Like, we, like, we don't want to write this story without Jean in the middle of it because she seems so crucial. Or Beast is just the perfect voice to, you know, make this scene work and we miss him if he's not there. So, oddly, two or three of the characters brought them, you know, made themselves uh, core characters without Marvel or Fox or anybody deciding it in the first meeting. But I mean, there were there was a discussion, but they were actually fairly, you know, loose with the fact that we that we kept on going back to people like Beast and Gene without them having been decided to be core characters. Wow, that's um, that's very interesting. It, it brings me to a, a next question about a character. And it's a character that uh, at the time X Men fans would have been like, "Who's this?" When they watched the show, and that character is one that goes by the name of Morph. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, I don't know a lot about this character. Obviously, I remember him from watching him in the show and being like, "Who's this guy?" But then, obviously, I've done a little bit of research. But what I want to know is who was whose decision was it to to come up with him, and and then the fact that um, he was kind of loosely based on an earlier. X-Men character, which was Changeling. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I just want to sort, sort of know what the backstory is there on that one. Well, I'm going to jump in here and just remind folks, we're looking back February 1992. There mm-hmm. were three major networks here in the United States, ABC, CBS, and NBC, and they all had Saturday morning kids blocks where you'd watch our cartoons. Fox Network was barely two years old, I think, at that point, and they were trying to make their mark uh, in, 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 in regular entertainment and also in children's programming and margaret lesh the woman who became president of fox kids to her credit had always been a supporter of x-men she'd been at marvel and had been trying to sell an x-men show for years couldn't get a bite and she became head of fox kids she was determined to do x-men and she was determined to push as many envelopes as she could to uh to uh, attract the broadest possible audience that she could to her brand new network and that led you eric to (laughs) making a decision i still can't believe got approved yeah, to, to say to, to tell her, Margaret, for people to really uh, believe in the X Men that the, these are real people, we have to kill somebody in the first story. So what? that's that's where that's where Morph that's where the 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 genesis of Morph came. And when we when we said that, and it took them a couple of weeks to agree to it because it's not something that's very normal in kids. But it's part of the heroic journey that they're right. sacrificing. Yeah, we want to make we show there's consequences to this life that these people are leading. So say, okay, fine. The first in the first draft of the script, that character was Thunderbird. Yes. Who? Wow. That's, that's one reason you see. I was, was going to see if you brought that up. <laughs> that, that there was, and that's one. That's the reason you see someone that looks like Thunderbird in the opening credits when they're running at which each other. Which is actually Warpath, his twin evil twin brother. But anyway, there's a <laughs> Thunderbird-ish looking person in the opening credits because when we wrote the the pilot, the person that gets killed, that gets sacrificed, was going to be Thunderbird. Okay, we wrote, write the script. Somebody gets a brilliant idea to wait a minute politically. Uh, well, just being sensitive, and sensitive, I appreciate that. Say it's our only Native American character, and we kill him right, right off. Yeah. Can't do this. Okay, so fine. So we specifically looked back through 
the long list of 25 years of X-Men characters to say who died, what minor character died helping out the X-Men. And it was Changeling. He was about four issue a uh, uh, little bit where he 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 saves Professor Xavier. You think Professor Xavier's died, but it's really Changeling in his place. So he's perfect. So we change it, we make it Changeling, we make him this funny character, the shapeshifter. And then we get a letter from the attorneys. The lawyers say, you can't use Changeling because DC has a character named Changeling. And so that's silly. Our Marvel's is two or three years older. They're not. And the lawyer said, doesn't matter. Uh, we're not taking a chance. We don't want a lawsuit. You can't use Changeling. And they just said, well, change his name. <laughs> so the, the character you say is looks like Changeling. He acts like Changeling. It's the design from the books. But we changed his name to Morph. Ta-da! That's thus uh, Morph. That's crazy. That's and an awesome story. One more thing that I feel compelled to uh, point out here, too. Truly, the idea of heroic sacrifice uh, in telling these kinds of stories was important. And and the the impact of Morph's death on all the characters is, is profound. And he was supposed to stay dead. He was supposed to stay dead. <laughs> we went to all that trouble to kill him. He was supposed to stay dead. And we got, yeah, Julia, will tell you, we, after the show was on for six or seven weeks... They did. They they did this evil thing they do in Hollywood, which is a focus group, Ugh. and they so they asked a couple hundred kids, uh, "Who's your favorite character?" After seven episodes, and Morph won by a landslide. What? That's so crazy. Yes. We're lying. Yeah, we yes. are not lying. Lying. We 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 think it's because we made him so lovable, and we made all the X Men grieve him so deeply, and he's Wolver- the only person to make Wolverine laugh. Wolverine cared so much about losing his friend mm-hmm. that, and also they probably asked younger kids, you know, six, seven, eight year olds. And right. so the fact that he was the funny one made them all. So, so we get this, this note back saying, you're laying out the second season. We understand. We understand how important it was to kill Morph and show sacrifice, but please, can you bring him back? And it was a terrible day. But um, again, I call it a soap opera death because <laughs> It, again, he wasn't supposed to come back, but but I think you guys really um, figured out a way to craft him back into the stories that made him even more I yeah. think, poignant. Giving him PTSD and making him go a little evil, that was a nice opening for us when we finally were forced to re- reuse him. But that whole first year, in our minds, he was really, really dead. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, if it wasn't for you guys, the character probably would have been like lost to time in, in the comic books because Marvel like brought him back um, right, did. after after your show. So that says that speaks volumes about the character. And yeah. I'll also say that in terms of the ginormous uh, film franchise that that began in the two, in 2000 for X-Men, they they pretty much chose to use the same team that uh, was used in X-Men the animated series and I always uh, consider that a positive thing that uh, we were all on the same page that way. Yeah. Yeah. I I was going to say, what I find awesome that that there is this segment in the book where if, if, as an adult, 
it makes so much sense. Well, you guys sent out the, the, the sort of voice casting memo as you guys were trying to like get these characters cast. I just want to read a couple of these here because these are the types of voices you were looking for. And then he, we all know what we ended up with, which, which we'll get into. But for Professor Xavier, you were looking for a Leonard Nimoy, Frederick March, a non-comic Leslie Nielsen. Wilson. Uh, for Wolverine, you were looking for a Clint Eastwood, Robert Mitchum, but with Clint Eastwood having a lower, deeper register. Uh, for for Jubilee, it was a Valley Girl. Ali Sheedy on Speed is the direct <laughs> quote. Yep. <laughs> um, and Cyclops is a young Robert Stack, a young William Holden, or a young Robert Redford. Um. And all of these voices are just so completely on point. Like when I when I hear the actual voice of the character for what you were looking for, but you guys didn't quite get there linearly. You guys had to go through. Um, there was an anecdote in the book where you guys talk about how bad the cat. You guys sent out this very clear memo stating yeah. we want voices like this. And what did you guys get back in return? Well, um, quick sidebar that uh, voice acting is a, is a very specific skill. And uh, all forms of acting are you know, require various degrees of talent to do the thing you need them to do. Um, there was a, and there's also a very uh, cost involved in the making of X-Men the Animated Series. Uh, not a lot in the budget. Therefore, they wanted to get voice actors out of Canada because it was cheaper than using the voice talent available in Los Angeles. So, uh, in reaching out to Canada to get some voice, to get voice tryouts on this, they had a, a history of working on uh, t children's TV animation, but there had been nothing quite like X-Men that had been presented to them up until that point. Yeah, I think they just didn't believe the notes. I think they said... <laughs> Okay, we've we they're very professional up there. They have a huge acting pool in Toronto. They're wonderful as you and they ended up being perfect for the show. Mm -hmm. But the voice director, who was the same voice director we ended up using, looked at what we sent him and said, Oh, they can't really mean this. This is a cartoon. And so the first sets of this is the high tech we had. There was no internet, so we would get audio cassettes snail mail to us from the of the of the casting recordings. Mm -hmm. And the first set we got back to Hollywood, they sounded Scooby-Doo goofy, goofy. And it's that they just couldn't wrap their mind around the fact that we wanted to do a very adult, dramatic show, that we wanted to do movies instead of uh, you know, just something playful and silly. So a couple guys from here, Larry Houston and... Will Minia. Oh, sorry, uh, Sydney Iwander. Sydney Iwander went Iwander. up. And a couple guys from Marvel, and they sat down with them for a couple weeks, redoing and redoing. That was this was another one of those half dozen crises that the show almost fell apart over, because it's like these guys really didn't get what we're trying to do about this, and and they didn't. It was just a misunderstanding. They'd never been asked to do this before, given the proper direction, given the understanding that they could go more dramatic, and we actually pulled some more dramatic people from there from their theater actors. A lot of the people we ended up casting were, you know, serious Shakespearean theater actors in 
Toronto. Toronto has a rich theatrical history, live action, theatrical. And, and so the second wave, it, it took this second attempt at casting, but the first time, you know, you assume people just get what you're asking for, right. but uh, it doesn't, it, English, you know, the English language is a variable thing. <laughs> and if they're used to doing it one way and you're asking to do it completely you know, 180 degrees different, it, you know, it takes it, some time. The mind, the mind, it, it sort of works against itself in those situations because you're looking at it on paper and saying, okay, they sent this, but it's like you said, they can't possibly mean this. This hasn't been done before in children's television. So to them, they can't possibly mean it. If they'd got that script now, they'd kick it back, I'm sure. Uh, uh, exactly as it was, because it's commonplace now for for kids' theme, uh, TV shows to sort of have these themes uh, and and these types of acting performances, but but not so much in the early nineties. Uh, I will, I will still stand that I love me my Hugh Jackman, but when I Cal read Dodd, it, man, <laughs> yeah. yeah, when I see an image of Wolverine, I hear Cal Dodd in my head. When I, I see you, an image, I, I see I hear the voices from the show. That's who I wanted to go to next is all due respect to every every performer on that show. But I want to talk about Cal Dodd for five seconds. Sure. Because I think that for 95% of the 90s uh, population, uh, uh, those of us who grew up in that era, when we see Wolverine, we hear Wolverine, we may picture Hugh Jackman, but we hear Cal Dodd. <laughs> and Cal Dodd, and for, for, for what it's worth, Hugh Jackman is modeled after Cal Dodd. So, you know, I mean, who was modeled after Jim Lee? But... <laughs> but but these like he nailed it. I mean, at what point did you know what like maybe speak to to, to actors like Cal Dodd who when you when you landed on him you knew you're like oh yeah oh yeah this this is the voice. There's an interesting story because they have been going through so many voices trying in Toronto, just trying to get someone you know who's who was close you know who who was. And they had Bob Harris, who was one of the folks from Marvel in New York. And Sydney. And Sydney Iwaner in Toronto, uh, listening for voices, just hoping someone was going to come come in and, yeah. and, and do the voice. And these are, Bob Harris is someone, these characters, he'd been hearing them in his own head with his own voice, you know, because for years. And then trying to get a human being to come in and, and make a voice that was going to be right for him. And then in comes Cal Dodd. Yeah, and they, and... And it happened with Cal, it happened with Rogue, it happened with a couple of the other ones. Uh, they'd been listening for a couple of weeks, you know, to various people read these lines that we'd written to, to uh, what are called sides, but, you know, just, you know short dialogue bits to, to, to reveal the character. And and Cal looked up at Sydney as we, we heard it and said, well, tell me a little about something about this guy. And Sydney said, well, he's feral. You know, he's, 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 he's kind of like an animal. And Cal just looked up at Sydney and he looked, reached down to the, the microphone and he growled his Wolverine growl. And everybody, everybody in the recording was sat up <laughs> and he did one line and everybody's, this is it, this is it, this is our guy. You know, it was, uh, it was a five second decision. Like, it's it. This is, and he had never done a voiceover before. He was a singer, he was a jazz singer and a, He'd do, uh, you know, commercial jingles, you know, buy your Chrysler from Toronto Chrysler, 
you know. <laughs> he, he had this really deep singing voice. Beautiful. And but uh, he was there almost on a whim. A friend of a friend was a was a, a talent agent said, "Oh, go down and read for this X Men thing." And what's the X Men? I don't know, but read for it. You might get you might get a you know a, a gig out of it, a day's pay out of it. And so he went down and he got it. And he was it from the first moment they heard him. And Bob Harris has that moment where for him, he'd never heard another person be Wolverine before because it just hadn't happened. But when he heard Cal Dodd do that, it was like chills in the back yeah. of his neck. Yeah. Can you say, say how surrealist this guy, Bob, who was a wonderful person to work for, who was the head. There were four X-Men uh, series of books at the time. Uh, in 92 and Bob had been the X-Men editor for a few years. And so he knew, he knew every story that was ever done on the X-Men. And he said, was telling us how surreal it was to have, to have only heard these characters in his head for 20 years. Now suddenly they're coming alive from the, in this acting, you know, from these actors. And he said, Wolverine was it, you know, the moment he heard him. In Rogue, you, with the note you have on her, is a uh, soft, dark, sultry, deep south. Ava Gardner, not exaggerated drawing or sing-songy. And you said she was another one that's nailed. And, I, you know, I was, I was reading that description for her, and I'm like, I bet that the person that landed that role landed that role pretty, pretty, pretty on that. Like, for, I don't know why that popped into my head. It just, Rogue is a very, very specific voice, I think, mm -hmm. in that show. And, and Beast is another one that sort of stands out to me. And you guys had like a bemused William F. Buckley uh, for, for, for Beast. And and I love the fact, and you break down in the book of, again, I keep coming back to this. If you guys haven't got a chance, order it. If you order it directly from the Leewalds, it even comes with a cool little autograph inside of it. <laughs> um, but uh, you guys even had a process for, for selecting – uh, the beast quotes as as they sort of became fondly known as and then there's these you know deeply profound things and and the very first one is when they're breaking into the facility uh in those first episodes and 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 uh you know, they the beast has to go and kill the power so that they can cross the area with the beams, and and you have this really profound quote in there. Did was that one of those things that you talk about? You just kept circling back to beast. Are those the sort of things that? why he kept reinserting himself into the conversation because there were moments where it just felt like a beast a beast quote, a beast moment or something was just needed. Yeah. Yeah. It's like there, there are certain things that he could articulate that Wolverine would just sit, would just tell somebody to go stuff himself. When Magneto comes to ask beast to join him in like episode three, uh, he's going to break him out of jail and beast is articulating why he prefers civil disobedience and staying in jail and having his day in court you know, nobody else on the team could have made that speech as sincerely as he did and have felt it as deeply as he did. It just, he's just, he's, he's, he's thoughtful, uh, in a way that just nobody else, you know, nobody else quite is. People are, feel younger, more dramatic, dynamic, whatever, but Beast is this incredibly thoughtful person. And, 
it doesn't mean he can't get angry and he doesn't weigh, you know, 400 pounds and can break you in half. But there was that, that, that he's just, there, there's something special about his, his empathy and his, his, his thought process that nobody else had. And as writers, cause I, I was a writer on X-Men, the animated series, you know, we always like to think that we're the smartest people in the room, <laughs> and therefore the the ability to use a character who was the smartest person in the room, Beast, was just a lot of fun. And then we would have, among ourselves, just trying to find the perfect Beast quote for a specific moment in an episode, and that was fun right there. Yeah. How 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 taxing of of a process was that pre-internet? Because man, <laughs> I mean. You, the, the, you can't just pop on somebody's Instagram and see an inspirational quote anymore. You know, you got to you you had to dig back then. What what was that process like? Like books? Yeah. yeah. Book, books. Yeah. What, <laughs> what are those? The Bartlett's. Bartlett. Yeah. Yeah. We, we had uh, three or four big uh, like quote uh, quote books. Yep. Uh, like the thesauruses and Bartlett's quotations and things, so that was helpful. Yeah, you know, we were none of us were that well read, but <laughs> but that was uh, that was it was it was it was weird. We would it was it was difficult. Like now today, if I was if we were doing the show and we had a question about a certain Marvel character, we could just probably just go online and find everything about him in Wikipedia, every single. Yeah story he was ever in and you know every you know every costume he ever wore back then it was well about a week later we might get a black and white xerox copy through the snail mail from marvel about you know one book that somebody was in and so we were ha having to try to you know call friends that knew char the characters who knew the history better or there was a really nice book called the marvel universe which uh would have lots of details about who people interact with and what their experiences were. So it's, it's almost like it was, it was a reference library that we were digging through when we were trying to figure out the details of characters. Cause none of us on the writing side or few of us, you know, knew all the books the way, you know, a, a true fan does. I got a question. There's a, there's a, a lot of dialogue and it doesn't matter how many times I've seen it or heard it play out. It always gives, gives gives me a chuckle, and that line that line is tell Cyclops I made him a convertible. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's a classic. Who came up with that one? Because that was brilliant. It was perfect. Uh, well, so, so is that is that the most Australian line in the in the the show? <laughs> oh, it, it, it just hits the mark. I, I yeah. think the comic timing of it is just absolutely yeah. perfect. Yeah, yeah. It was it was either Mark or me, but Marky probably Wilson. Mark. Mark had that. Mark has a dry sense of humor, and we tend to like uh, uh, both of us, you know, westerns, war movies, uh, uh, with a kind of a little bit of a rebellious edge to them. And so it probably came out of Mark Edens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kudos to him. Yeah. That, that, I, I just watched it again the other day, and my wife is also a big fan. She watched it with me, and it even got a laugh out of her. So you know, she, she's, not, she's a tough audience. So you know. There you go. Well, and that's one of the things working. It, we the always, kids program. Yeah, we always took we we approached X Men on the writing side as if we're doing a an hour long dramatic live action show that happens to be half hour animated for Saturday morning. But part of those restrictions in Saturday morning actually kind of I don't mean we're it, it, the challenge was then to work uh, against 
the things that the, the, the rules and the things that we couldn't show extreme violence. We couldn't curse. We couldn't you know, do certain things. But then that meant we had to get creative. And there was a lot of fun in that. I like the destruction of the Sentinels a lot. Like I think you guys mentioned that you you know the Sentinels gave you sort of a way to get around those those you, you know the FCC type deals with where these uh, children's programming these stipulations that you had to abide by. Right. Um, and and the Sentinels sort of gave you just a an all all intents and purposes beat 'em up robot that that the well, they could decapitate. They could, they could stab them. They could do whatever. It didn't matter. They were robots, right? That's yeah. exactly what happened. Yeah, and, and and we all understood that on the animation side. And you may there's a reference in the book where there was a memo from Marvel. They weren't. There was a guy there, an executive there, wasn't thrilled that we were focusing on the Sentinels over some of the bigger supervillains, uh, uh, super you know, mutant supervillains. And we just we wrote him back and said, guys. You know, we can't rip apart living people. Uh, Wolverine's claws can't even scratch somebody. You know, we we need something like that just just to, to, to make the action halfway realistic. And the Sentinels are perfect. And they'll let us, you're right, disembowel and decapitate them. <laughs> and that's, and we did constantly. Everybody was blowing the hell out of them. And yet at the same time, they were big scary things that, Felt like uh, something that could, uh, you know, round up mutants and put them in concentration camps, which is the the feeling we wanted to give from them. Adam, did you want to ask anything else? Um, this is like a, a little bit of like a, a, a somewhat sort of off topic, but like um, I'm just, I'm just interested to know like what. Uh, what sort of kind of feedback you got from Stan Lee when the show came out and what's your, and it's a two part question, actually I'm telling <laughs> you like, and um, what's your best Stan Lee side story? Okay. Well, we've had the pleasure of working with Stan Lee during X-Men and then going on to work with him with, on other projects since then. Uh, doesn't, doesn't mean there weren't a couple of bumps along the way. Yeah. And uh, so we remained friendly. Yes, but uh, but there were the Stan had a very different idea for the show from the beginning, and wanted it much younger. And he had didn't really know the later X Men. He knew his early '60s X Men, you know, pre Wolverine, pre Storm, pre pre Rogue, pre you know, just uh, when they were younger, when they were more teenagers, all in blue suits, and and so. Uh, he, the you know, Stan is the most incredible force in the history of comic book writing. Yes. But it also means he also likes to run every show he's involved in. So he would have liked this to be his show. And he wanted something so very different from the rest of us that, that we had a, a tense moment. And uh, the, I think Josh and Scott, Josh has read the book, so he knows this moment. It was one of the crises where uh, I actually had to stand up in front of the president of Fox uh, Network and say, um, we either do it my way or we do it Stan's way. Uh, make your choice. Uh, and that was that was not pleasant. And uh, but it was, you know, we, we worked it out and 
it was uh, it's just it was a case of you know he was he was from a previous generation and he had a different you know different tone in in his head and uh, it just it was it was a battle during up until up until the the first episode aired and it was a huge hit uh, he was pretty much struggling to take take over the show and and make it his and and make it different oh wow so that, that was not that was not pleasant the, the the reference in the book is i threw my back out uh because i wanted to punch stan so bad yeah but and, you didn't but i didn't and i uh, but you did throw your back out but i didn't throw my back out the next day um uh, because it was just it was a case of if we'd let him because he you know, he wanted to narrate it he wanted to you know hello true believers Who's this? You know, who's this young, this young mutant, this short young mutant with the claws? What's he going after today? He went right. during, during the show mm-hmm. and and be there and, and introduce the show, kind of like Walt Disney at the beginning. Hi, uh, Stanley here. We're going to have another fun adventure with these young, these extraordinary youngsters. So that would have been such a different show. Uh, you know, the, it's like we couldn't, we neither the twain, one, it needed to be one or the other. Right. And so that that was an unfortunate. Luckily, on the other things we worked with him on, we were of the same mind, and we didn't have that struggle. But in this, he was a, uh, he was a, uh, uh, I don't know. I can say, I can say it. He was a pain. He was, a, <laughs> he, he was an adversary. There you go. There you go. Yeah. There you go. So that was. And and to remember at that time too, Marvel was going through such upheaval, uh, bankruptcy. I mean, it was going through bankruptcy. Things were getting sold off as we were trying to get the show out. <laughs> right. You know, bits and pieces of different characters were sold to different studios, and here we are, what twenty five, thirty years later. Disney now seems to have everything finally, <laughs> good, better, and different. But also, we think you know, X Men the animated series now falls under their umbrella, whereas for the last twenty years, it didn't get. No one had clean ownership of it. But during that time, X-Men Marvel hadn't had a, a real big success with any kind of uh, TV show uh, at that time. And so X-Men, there was a lot riding on on those first 13 episodes. Yeah, uh, yeah. A lot of people, you know, it, it was a new thing that was happening and a lot of people were uh, trying to wrap their head around that. I'm just glad you guys stuck to your guns because I agree that would have been a much different show. I don't know if it would have stuck with me the same way. Uh, That would have been a little bit more campy where what I always loved about the X-Men was that it, I've been telling people for years before the MCU that comic are comics are a treasure trove. People think I, I constantly online there there seems to be this putback when because you know people to, do argue about things online. I don't know if you've heard this before. I, I might be I might I might be breaking some news here. Um, but one of the the retorts that I usually get is like this coming from a, a you know a grown adult who still reads comics, and it's like. I, I don't know if you know this guy, but most comic stories aren't really kitty. Like kids relate to them and, and, and there are kid aspects of them where you get drawn in, but, but the best stories in, in all of comics have, have sort of have these larger questions. There's larger imperatives and, and, and I don't understand why people seem to think that it's just for kids, but I, but 
you guys were one of the first to treat it with the seriousness and respect that I felt comics deserved, even at a young age. I was always like, these things are a little bit more intense than people give them credit for. And and you guys brought those stories to life, for better or for worse. And I'm just curious, what's it like to have people years later talk about you know, I mean, because you worked on so many different projects, but but people come back to this one and say it it meant this to me or it meant that to me or it was my favorite show or what, what's it like to stick? Because this show holds up. There's something stupidly unfair about this. It's that it <laughs> still holds up. It's still good. It still has questions that hold true to maybe even more so now. Uh, these questions have come back, but, but what's it like to be part of a, a, a show that, that sort of has this lasting, I don't know, eternity to it? Well, we, I'll, I'll be honest again, just go back in the way back machine. And here we were working on the show and doing the show. And then writers, what I, when, for me as a writer on scripts and Eric, when as the, the showrunner for the show, it's your head's down, you're staring at your, your keyboard, you're trying to get the stuff on, on the screen, on the page, you're trying to get the job done. And you're on to the next one, and you're on to the next one. And the lag time in animation is severe. Uh, by the time you were done with the first 13 scripts, which we assumed would be the only 13 scripts, we were all released from our contracts. You're all let go. We're all let go. Uh, and on, and look, literally looking for you know the next job. And you... Eric, we're already hired on. Yeah, there's a show called Exo Squad at Universal that a bunch of us went over to work on while we were waiting for X Men uh, animation to come back, and because you know we were paying the bills, yeah. and and that's really pretty much you know it was our day job, and and the question about what it means now later, um, is really gratifying. I mean, when we're doing it, it felt right. It felt like we were doing good work, but you never know. There's so many hundreds of things that come together, the right people, the right project, uh, the right, uh, you know, the, the, the right time uh, in, in a country, you know, the, you know, in the right time for television. All these things came together in this one, and it all worked beautifully. And so it's, we, we're kind of, you know, 25 years later, we're bumping into people at cons, and they're telling us how important the show was to them. And it's wonderful. It's, it's, it's gratifying. It's like... Okay, this is this is a reason for for being in this work is to get this kind of reaction from people because we've worked on forty some shows each over the the mm-hmm. many years, and people have fond memories of a lot of them and and lo- and are nostalgic and and thank us for this for that. But there's this thing about X Men <laughs> that tens of millions of people really were affected by the show which is a which is a daunting thing to realize we bump into people we can't go to if we're wearing some sort of you know x-men the animated series shirt we can't go into a restaurant somewhere in tennessee or singapore or you know uh without the waiter or waitress say oh the animated show from the 90s man that was my favorite show Every, every, I mean, it's 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 weirdly universal. They played it. It played everywhere. It re- played in repeats for years, mm-hmm. and so it somehow, you know, made its mark. And that's nothing we had any control over. But it, it is really, it's really gratifying to to know that, you know, that we worked over, tried to make these stories go, as good as we could in the short time we had them. 
but you never know how they're going to turn out or if they're ever going to reach anyone. And we've had the fun that we, about five years ago, I, I was aware of the fact that comic cons and things were happening and there were other shows of X-Men's generation that were getting a lot of love. For example, Batman, the animated series mm-hmm. and X-Men didn't seem to come up as often, you know, basically cause no one owned the rights and no one was willing to, uh, coordinate with anybody else to do any sort of support for the show. And I will admit I was sort of nudging Eric because we had all the scripts. We had all the storyboards. We had all the notes and things in boxes above our garage. It's like, if you don't write the book about how this got done, I don't think it's going to get done and might be lost to time. So Eric, you, you took a couple of years to get this, the book done. Yeah. Yeah. And that's given us, a really nice excuse, I don't mean excuse, but a nice reason to attend cons then and sort of introduce ourselves to folks and have them come and chat with us. And that's just been, that's been astonishing, astonishing in the best way possible. And I truly mean this, like if you're a fan of the show, you consider yourself a super fan. I'm not just saying this because they're on here. The book genuinely does sell itself. Like there are so many good anecdotes in there. Like we, that we, you know, I've nudged to tell, have them tell some of them on air just because I think that they're so good. Uh, you check out the book, man. Like I'm, I'm telling you, it is worth every penny that you will pay for it. Uh, and all it does is bring X-Men the anime series back into the public light like all you're doing when you pick it up is reinvigorate the conversation so if you really do love the show and we're going to get to some of your questions here and you really do want to see it back on the air in some format like this is a way to help do that um and if i might jump in here uh, sure. if, uh eric and i we if, if folks are interested in following along uh for for the fun of it we uh, we are on twitter at x-men t which is our abbreviation for X-Men, the animated series. Uh, we are on Instagram at X-Men TAS. We have a Facebook page previously on X-Men. Uh, and we have a website, xmentas.com. Uh, and at any of these places, you, you, you can find the link to Jacobs Brown Media Group, which uh, is the publisher of the book. And if you buy through them, you'll get an autographed copy. And the nice thing is they've been selling so briskly that the publisher's on their way over this afternoon. When we wrap up here, Eric will get to sign a few more copies because uh, th- that's they, they need to get a few more signs so they can get them out the door. Unfortunately for International, the problem is is the shipping is so expensive. What they've done is is if if, if you're in Australia, for instance, it's available on Amazon Australia on a print on demand. A print, a kind of a print on demand. We sent there was a one of the people that uh, that I'll that, get one to you, Adam. I've got that code. I've got that code. I have a California uh, freight forwarding address. So oh. I, I, as soon as the show is is finished, I'm I'm going to make amends because I, I I reached out to you guys a long time ago about getting a copy and I never got around to getting it. And I feel terrible, so <laughs> I'm going to make amends and get a copy right at the, as soon as we conclude recording today. And at the same time, on that note. I gotta invite you guys to Australia. You gotta come and do a con out out here Ooh. or something oh, we like, like that. We love the way we you lo- think. We, 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 we love it. We love that. In fact, one of the guys that books us a little, and we're still figuring out the best way to do this. We're new to this. We're still new to yeah. the cons. Yeah, we've huh? been to a couple dozen of them, but the, the far, um, but we haven't been we haven't been uh, outside the country yet. And the guy right. that booked a couple small ones for us just booked some people on a 
on a two-con trip, one New Zealand, one Australia. It's like following, you know, one, they were like weekends back to back. So I guess it well, kind of amortized, the, <laughs> amortized the, the, the flight costs a little. But he's working on that, and we, boy, we would love to come down there and do that. That was that would be be nothing more fun than doing a couple, coming down, do a couple cons, and and see the country in in the time in between. Absolutely, and if there's anybody internationally who wants to buy the book, uh, just buy a copy through Amazon. Email us a picture with a book, and Eric will sign that and email it back to you, and that will get your own signed copy. Kind of, <laughs> kind of, and. And uh, I, I, I stress again, man, there are so many nifty little stories in there and interviews too. interviews galore of people who help. like you, you talk about Margaret and, and she, there's, there's an extensive interview with her in the beginning about how important it was, as you guys talked about to bring the X-Men over. So when, when you realize how many people sort of went into making this show and, and bringing it to life initially, there's, I mean, you know, Margaret, like you said, being in the right place, so many things coming together that, that all have to happen to create a hit that lasts the test of time. Um, you know, she was a big part of it too. And th there's a chapter dedicated to her in the book. And also we talked about earlier, there's a chap, there's a complete chapter dedicated to beast quotes. Like if that doesn't <laughs> inspire you to get the book, I don't know what will. Um, I want to get to some of the questions so you guys sure. can go and sign your contracts. Um, <laughs> so Chaz, we'll start up at the top and Adam, we can rotate asking them. So that way you can, you can get in some more airtime as well. Uh, we got Chaz who sent this in while we were on air. He wants to know, did you guys have any doubts about giving Apocalypse more mature dialogue like the tor tortured Sisyphus line in, uh, in a kid's show? I only knew what the true meaning of that was recently. Oh, really? That's an interesting observation. Oh, no, 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 no. We, um, yeah. we were writing for ourselves. We, we were indulging ourselves. And, you know, if you've got a a being that powerful that's lived for 5,000 years, you got to give him a little leeway as far as, <laughs> as far as sophistication goes. Oh, but, but one quick side note that we didn't realize until sadly um, he had passed away, but the, um, the voice talent out of Toronto, who was the voice of apocalypse. And that's also the only apocalypse I hear in my head was the late great John Colicos. Who was the very first Klingon in Star Trek. The original, which is, the original which series. Which is, is astounding. I mean, wow. I, yeah, that the, the 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 in 1967 he was the first Klingon ever to to appear in a Star Trek episode, and he was a commander that was fighting with Kirk, and was so, going to turn turn Spock's mind into a vegetable. You've always and, loved and that. And it line. was that guy. That guy was our apocalypse, and we didn't. I would have. I would have fan geek, fan geeked out if I'd known at the time. You just, if you would have known at the time, you'd have been like, so this is all we're talking about today. <laughs> we're going to have an episode But that shows you how, how primitive um, intercon the, the internet was, you know, and it communications were. We had, no, we had no way of knowing and we had no idea. Yeah. And it's not like he walks around and is like, hey, guys. I was the first Klingon in a show that only lasted a couple seasons. Because, no, I mean, back then, Star Trek wasn't Star Trek yet. Right. Mm -hmm. it, it was about to become that. I mean, I think, I don't remember exactly when The Next Generation had kicked off. I want to say it was the late 80s, but but it hadn't quite reached its its pinnacle yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Adam, you want to ask the, the next one? 
Yeah, sure. So uh, at Hydro, the MC would like to know, um, and so would I actually, why does the opening song sound exactly like Whitney Houston's I'm Your Baby Tonight? <laughs> because it doesn't. However, <laughs> <laughs> which, which came first? Yeah, that's right. Here's the deal. As far as where, um, uh, the Eric, you've got that. There's that fun tag that we we mentioned Batman a few moments ago. Batman had a, a bigger budget. It had you know it was in a single studio. There was more, you know they they had they had longer a longer lead time. It, it's a good looking show. It's a good sounding show. X Men had to. Uh, we didn't have that luxury. Bit so. a bit of a garage band thrown together. And it was one. It was just one composer working at at Saban Entertainment, getting zero residuals, zero extra money for this. Yeah. This poor guy. We beat him up and made him redo that thing like thirty times to get it as intense as it was. It was. It was just a guy working on a synthesizer. Did that. His name is Ron Wasserman, and he also did the Power Ranger opening. Uh, opening. This guy did those two things. They probably played twenty billion <laughs> times now. And never got an extra penny because he was just he was work for hire. Yeah, yeah. That's so brutal, man. Mm-hmm. That that might be up there with the guy who said no to George Lucas at 21st Century Fox. Like that might be that guy. Like, well, we're trying to rectify that now, though, and at least bring light to the fact that there's a guy out there named Ron Wasserman who deserves mm-hmm. the credit for these things. And I have heard the Whitney Houston. Uh, bit and I, I understand it, but I, I also believe there there was truly no, at least no conscious uh, attempt. To... I think it's more funny than anything. Yeah. I, think, I think I think people are more amused by it than anyone out there is 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 trying to draw any sort of bad attention to it. Or sure. I, I I'm pretty sure weren't weren't the wasn't the X Men show first anyways? Probably maybe I don't know. I should know that. So 1992. I think the Whitney song came in, it came in 1990, I think, and you guys were in 92, I'm pretty sure. Oh, and then, well, who, can, who cares? Yeah, <laughs> enough, like, when this came up, I'd never even heard this before, up until, like, yesterday or the day before. And then after that, comic book writer um, who we have had on the show before, I was talking to him about it. And he said that there's also a Rod Stewart song that sounds familiar. Have you have you guys heard that one? I hadn't heard that. No. Rod Stewart? No, I had not. Yeah. So that, this was by uh, brought to brought to my attention by Sean Kelly McKeever. and um, the song is called. Uh, let me just quickly go back to my notes. It's called Crazy About Her. So yeah, have a have a listen to that after the show. We will. <laughs> that's 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 pretty intense. I did not know that, Adam. I yeah. like to. Th- I just like to think that it's a song that was meant to be. Is really what it is. Like it just needed to be in existence, so it p- was popped into the mind of of how many ever people it needed to to bring the tune into existence. It needed to be. So well, it was. Isn't, isn't that the discovery of oxygen to people? Yeah. Like- sides of the planet, you know, this, the, the, the world was ripe for it at that time. Exactly. <laughs> I like your thinking. Good logic there. It, it, see, it all seems to have popped up at around that time, so something must have subconsciously been pl- implanted somewhere because you have that many people coming up with the that similar of a tune, then, yeah, it just needed to be. So you've heard – I've been asked a question everybody wants to know. You've, you've heard – 
these uh, uh, the X-Men, the animated series recently came in uh, uh, to the press and and people would like to see it revived, uh, redone. Um, what what have you heard? Uh, and I, I assume it's it's very little at this stage. Yeah. yeah. Well, what have you heard? And also, well, I mean, you guys are definitely want to do this, right? If given the opportunity. Oh, we we do it in a second, and and so so would the cast, and so would the artists, mm-hmm. and so that's that that's that's the easy part. I mean, you're talking about people uh, that you know that we work. We, we we're in gig economy. We work paycheck to paycheck. Yes. You're asking artists and writers uh, and actors if they want a job or not. <laughs> so yes, we all want, and yes, and just about everybody involved loved doing it. So you know, coming back together would be easy. The question is what Marvel wants and needs, and so or this, Disney, Disney now. Yeah, yeah, Marvel Disney and. The it makes sense, but just this rumor has just kind of exploded, and we're not quite sure why. All, all that happened was a producer asked us this question a few months ago, and we asked a few of the cast and artists, and they said sure, and we and we just said sure. So when people uh, ask us if we do it again, we say yeah, of course we would, but. It's not like it's coming. It's not coming from Marvel and Disney, to the best of our knowledge. Uh, we, we'd be there in a heartbeat, but uh, and people are doing a lot of reboot '90s reboots, so it's not a weird question. Uh, it's something that people are doing these days, but it's not. I, I don't think there's any uh, serious traction on this yet, other than knowing that sure, all the talent would be there in a, in a heartbeat. Adam, you want to ask? Um, no, I've got no more fan questions, Ben. So if you want okay. to, uh, Lex, Lexi wants to know what was the creative direction for Storm, Gambit, and Rogue. I am a huge fan, and they are my favorites. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Oh well, that's that's gratifying to hear. Say I, as a female here, that uh, two of the characters there are strong, independent females. That's the thing that we look back on it, and it. It shouldn't seem revolutionary in the year 2019, but you look back on X-Men and a team of of eight different people. You had four men, four women, and the women were as strong, if not stronger, than the guys. They could fly. They, you know, they could take care of themselves. But it wasn't it, – no one – it wasn't like a boys versus girls thing. It was just these are all very interesting people who have these very interesting skills and mutations – that are also in their way um, the thing that that causes their their own individual heart, you know heartache the most specifically Rogue Rogue breaks my heart because if she and Wolverine had switched mutations they'd be happy if she had adamantium you know claws she just wouldn't use them unless she wanted to but she could touch somebody if Wolverine couldn't touch anybody he'd just go live in the woods like he wants to you know he'd be yeah. happy. <laughs> Yeah. Never really, never thought about it like that. Like, yeah. yeah, Wolverine would be truly happy with Rogue's power yeah. set. He'd be like, at last. Yeah. 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 So, so as far as, as those three characters go, uh, we, yeah, we're trying to make them all as distinct from each other as possible. And so uh, uh, Storm's history, kind of regal history, go- uh, goddess history when she was younger, when an African, you know, we, we, we picked stuff from, the comic book history of her character 
that would make her sound and feel different from the other characters that we were working with. And that, that people make fun of her <laughs> loud pronouncements to the, to the four winds while she's whipping her powers up. But even without that, she, she, the way she, the way the, she was directed was, was a, a regal bearing and nobody else. I mean, Wolverine has the opposite of a regal bearing. So mm-hmm. that, that'd be something that cooled her. The thing with Gambit, he was a fairly new character to Marvel. There wasn't much history. And we just made I mean, him, uh, we liked, he was mysterious and we liked how flirtatious he was. I mean, today he's like beyond PC. <laughs> he's always, he's coming on to every woman he, he bumps into. Um, but at the same time, he was serious. I think he was seriously head over heels over Rogue. I mean, that was not a, a passing thing. Um, so that was that was nice. And you wouldn't believe at the cons the questions we get about Rogue and Gambit. Oh yeah, that 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 that, that interaction. And we were told not. We always told in kids programming. Oh, nobody's going to get you know mushy stuff between the characters. You know, keep the sex out of there and keep the kisses and keep the romance and keep you know, and kids get it kids get people being attracted to people and people fighting over people it's it's it wasn't it, it wasn't an issue so so the, the the level of romance there was 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 cool for them and let me also say again as a female rogue technically is stronger than gambit Typically, you go, oh, that's kind of creepy and predatory. It's like, no, she could take him out. And he knew it. You know, that there was no, it was never, and in my opinion, it was never creepy. And, and Rogue, the, all the, the three main writers on the show, we are all from Tennessee. So we would have been, we would not have been pleased if, if Rogue's southernness had been hokey, had been, had been off key. And just having her be this rural southern girl made her very different from some of these other, you know, Wolverine was very Canadian. He was the, you know, he was very, you know, he could, you could see him be working as a lumberjack, yep. I, I mean, a short lumberjack, but it, there we wanted these people as, as distinct as possible. And, uh, they, they, they delivered, man. What I, what I absolutely love about it with, with Rogue and Gambit too, is they're married now. Like they're, they're, they're married in the comics. Like you have to wonder how much did, did the show influence the comics, which was obviously influenced, you know, by the show as well as vice versa. So how much did that, that romance that people saw on television create, more desire to see that romance in the comics flourish, which obviously has now led to them being married. Sure. So, you know, one I, thing, I, you it, imagine those two together. Yeah. Oh yeah. There was um, a two part episode, uh, two parts, two part shows uh, called one man's worth yep. uh, in the series. And um, Eric, that's, that's one of those ideas that, that you'd come up with from scratch and, yeah. and it ended up, the the point was it, it didn't come from a specific book, yeah. comic book, but then the folks at Marvel so enjoyed that idea, the idea that what would happen if there had been, if Charles Xavier didn't exist to create the X-Men and how would the world sort of spin that way? Have been changed. Have, yeah. have been changed. That then they, they themselves came out with the Age of Apocalypse books for the whole comic book run, but that, and they've said that was directly attributable 
to uh, one man's worth from the X-Men. And and, and for what it's worth, Age of Apocalypse, and sorry, I'll go right back to you, Eric. Age of Apocalypse was the defining X-Men book when I was a child. Like that, that was the biggest event that, that had lured me in. They, they did an amazing job with that. And, and it just, it it came from the simple, the, our, our two-parter came from the simple idea of, I mean, that, you know, other people have have done. I mean, there was a, a Star Trek a city on the edge of forever that ha- had that you know what what difference does one person make well if that person isn't there all these things different things happen or it's a wonderful life i mean it's a very basic simple idea one one person can have a ripple effect and and can change the world and it just struck me that this was a perfect uh setup for telling the audience what the X-Men mean to the world by if Charles Xavier didn't exist and they hadn't grown into what they grew into, how would the world have been different? And that, that just, it was one of those, it was like the luckiest inside. I, I mean, coming up with the story ideas is like the hardest part. Once you come up with a good story idea, the writing of the scripts is basically craft for us, but coming up with a story that's going to resonate and be strong for 22 minutes or 44 minutes or 88 minutes, however many parts it is, is the hardest part. When that one popped up, that was like, you know, you break out the champagne. We just, we just knew we had something that, that would fit the X-Men better than you know, anything we'd come up with before. So that was, uh, with, that was, a, that was a good day. And it and it sort of plays well into Marvel's creations of what if anyhow like that's that's a popular Marvel brand people love those what if comics that sort yeah. of explore alternate things like and it and it sort of seems crazy that they hadn't done a what if Professor Xavier hadn't existed but they hadn't and you guys did <clears throat> and then it led to something that. I don't know how I don't know how many people Age of Apocalypse influenced, but I know that that was that was one of the first major runs uh, that that got me into how expansive comics could really be. Yeah. Um. So my final question, I guess, would be would be this: like, how, you you mentioned like, hey, it was great coming up with these ideas, and and the hard part is coming up with them. To that end, how helpful is it? having a series from which you can draw countless stories like dark Phoenix or Phoenix or, or sagas that, I mean, cause, cause your version of the Phoenix saga, let's be real. It, it, it's unfortunate that, I mean, I just, I feel bad for, for the people who made X-Men dark Phoenix, because in some senses, they were always up against what people envision as the perfect telling of that story. And a lot of that comes from their viewing it through your lens as a child, because you guys were able to do such a fantastic job of adapting that from the comics to the screen. How helpful was it having those stories and, and how much of the creation of these stories was drawing from the comics versus coming up with uh, independent stories? Well, I'm, I'm going to say that it's, it's, it's very flattering and gratifying when, when people look to X-Men, the animated series as, as being uh, so faithful and yeah. it's such a such a, a a true rendering of the comic books. When if you look at each individual episode, there really weren't that many that were direct adaptations. I got to work on uh, part one of Days of Future Past, 
where we had to, we swap we weren't using Kitty Pride because of the Pride of the X Men uh, attempt at a pilot uh, from a couple years ago, and then it became the creative process. Well, how do you do? How do you tell the story if you're not going to use Kitty Pride? How do you, and that became when Bishop got to be used as a character. So there was adaptate. We were sort of adapting on the fly as we were going. Yeah, honestly, we were open to either way. We didn't have a <laughs> reference, and so there were writers that worked on the show that didn't know the X Men books at all and just were pitching. Uh, here's a really cool new uh, Wolverine story. And there are other people that loved certain of the books and would pitch variations or adaptations of those books. And I wouldn't, I often wouldn't know. I would get something in all oh, this, the phalanx. Okay. Yeah. That's, oh, there's some books there. Okay. Or the asteroid M. Okay. That's something that exists in the books and the writers that would pit the writer that would pitch that story to us to see if we could make it into a, a TV show was was in love with those issues from the books, and it would be a fairly uh, 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 close, if we could, adaptation. But I was just looking for the strongest stories, and so if we got ten strong stories that had no reference to the books, we would just run with those. And if we I got four in a row that were based on uh, books, we'd run with those. The three, as Julia was saying, the three that were very specific. Say we called Marvel and said, can we do a direct adaptation of this? Were the two Phoenix sagas and Days of Future Past. Everything else was was a much looser reference using kind of the whole history of the of the characters as a reference point. And if it ended up tying in with a, a certain book, great. If it had nothing to do with book, great. We figured there are 59 stories that we told in various numbers of parters. And only those three did we go into at, from the top down saying we're doing a direct adaptation. Um, it just, it, again, it was just, we were desperately trying to tell the most intense stories we could. And sometimes the books fit and sometimes they didn't. And if you want to know why they chose the Phoenix saga, you'll just have to pick up the book and open to chapter or page 103. It goes <laughs> into detail. This okay. is a perfect place to put a fork in this conversation for now. Again, I encourage you guys. There are so many more stories that the Lee Walds go into in that book. Uh, the Phoenix saga sort of Nightcrawler has, has his own chapter. Uh, there's just, there's just a wealth of information in there. Uh, that that I encourage everyone to check out, and the best part—they're not even paying me to say this. Like this is just—I believe it, so I'm I'm saying it to you guys. So hopefully you uh, hopefully you heed my calling and go and purchase their book. Thanks so much. And, Thank you all. And yes, please get us down to Australia. We'd we'd love it. Yeah, we hope to get you down here, guys. And and you know, like like Josh just said. Uh, I just want to say the same thing to our listeners as well. Go and buy the book. I literally just did uh, while we were talking there because I'm like, I'm not going to hold out any longer to read this. So thank you so much for appearing on the shows, guys. It was it was fantastic. All right. We're, thank you all good. so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Have a good one, guys. Thanks. Okay. Is it just us, Scotty? Yep. Still here. Okay. So, um, Adam – Thoughts? Probably one of our best shows yet. Indeed. It's mm. probably it's probably because we weren't the ones doing the talking. That's why it made it so good. 
Mm, it was it was really good. It Thank was you. enjoyable. Man. Really Most good. of the times, our shows are enjoyable if we're not the ones talking. That's well, it, it, <laughs> it flowed, the show flowed well too. I felt as well. Like you and I had a good back and forth. I think with them. At, um, at times, you know what I mean? Oh, man, I, I really, I sat down and I cracked out and absorbed as much of the book as I possibly could before we went on air. So that way I could pull some like strong anecdotes and fun stories to tell on air from the book to encourage people to get out there and buy it. Like there really is some great shit in there. If you, if you, if you really are a fan of the series, like you do owe it to yourself. We're not even on air. I, I guess, uh, but yeah, we are. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, look, check, check your inbox. You'll see, I, I literally just sent, uh, just sent the, a message to you and both Eric and Julia. I just, I just purchased it right there and then. I'm like I gotta I gotta read this. I I meant to buy it moons ago. I, I don't know if you. I think we spoke about it you and I when you first bought the book. Yeah, yeah we did. We did talk about it. Um, yeah. No, I kick myself for not having read it, but I'm looking forward to it even more so now. And you know, and like even just watching this, going back and watching the show again uh, to do a little bit of research for our show. Like even that was fun, man. Like it, it was such. It was it, so ahead of. Does time. it not hold up, man? Does it not it still hold up? Hold up? It holds up, man. Like it holds up well. It's really and like I think when you watch it through all the eyes, you definitely pick up on a lot of what we just spoke about in terms of like uh, you you make made the point of like Beast and how quotable he was, and like even even like you know the, the line of dialogue that I mentioned, as well as like some of the um, other lines that uh, the characters say. That I was watching one of the episodes. I can't remember which one it was, and then. And uh, I'm pretty sure it was Wolverine might have dropped the, the line. It was about, and it's a, it's a famous one. They were, talk, they were talking briefly about the Civil War, and it's like, it's uh, I don't want to paraphrase here. Um, uh, what is it? Die on your feet or, or on your knees or something like that. Um, uh, I've just gone live, blank. Live and, on your feet or like yeah, die on your knees or something, something like that. That's right, yeah. That's right. But yeah, better. Yeah, it's better to die on your feet than to live on your knee. Yeah. So I, I, there were just so many great quotes in there. Like I, <laughs> like I didn't realize how much I loved Beast until I went back and watched the show, and I'm just like, I found myself wanting more Beast, or to go, or for the episode to go back to Beast, like. I I I I love the Jubilee bits in the beginning because her story is tied directly to Wolverine's, uh, especially with like the uh, the you know the sort of the growth of Sabretooth uh, within the show. Uh, he fakes obviously fakes you know being healed so he can get into the X mansion and. Wolverine tries to warn him against it and uh, they don't listen to him. And sure enough, like <laughs> Wolverine saves Jubilee from getting killed by Sabretooth and like Professor X is going off on Wolverine and Jubilee's like, hey, like he helped me. And I'm like, yeah, listen to the kid. Like when I was a kid, like that was like, see, the kids know stuff. 
that's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know what we know, but we know stuff. Mm. It's just, yeah, a, it's just it was, a good show. Yeah, it was. A, it's a good show, and, and I and I'd love to see the you know the pe- the good people behind it uh, get those gigs back if and if the show's revived. You know what I mean? Because it, it'd be interesting to see how they could take off from where they left, but also in this day and age, we're talking what? Oh, well over, because the show ran for seven years. Is that correct? Like from 92 to 99, I think, or something yeah. like that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're talking over 20 years ago now, like since it, it, I think it went to, it last went to air. So it'd be interesting to see where, where it could go from here. You know what I mean? And I hope uh, the powers that be, uh, at Disney can uh, definitely give it a second life. Yeah, I agree. I want them to give it a second life. Um, I desperately want them to 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 revisit the show in some way, shape, or form. Whether because uh, it was on Hulu there for a bit. Even if they bring it back on Disney Plus and make it one of the inclusions on yeah. um, uh, 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 of older shows that you're able to watch, like I I need. I want I own the entire series, but I would love to be able to just have the convenience of streaming it, you know? Yeah, John. What's that, Scotty? That was one of the things I was gonna say is like there's (coughs) moments, especially in the second season with the Friends of Humanity and really the theme throughout the entire series of, you know, exclusion of people who are different that is is just really really timely and i think that having it available to stream so kids now or even you know younger adults now can go back and watch the show would be a good thing yeah no like i i think there's a lot there i think uh and be sure to check the skype message the 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 folks want you to uh send them your mailing address or scotty you uh uh yeah uh, be sure to check that um, in the in the little Skype uh, inbox thing uh, chat. <laughs> um, I don't know why I struggled to get that out, but yeah, I think there are a lot of important messages that 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 uh, available within the show that kids could could get from that nowadays. Uh, and and you know, it's so it's easy too, like. Because it's right there, you already have it. The work's been done. Like all, all you have to do is put the show online for people to watch it, and you're going to get the hits. Like it's just going; they're they're just going to come in. Like all Disney is going to make is money off it by bringing it back. Like I can't see any way they this is a money losing proposition for them, and. I, I'm not as heavily involved in the industry as as the as the Leewalds, but I truthfully can't see any way that it's a money losing proposition to 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 host the show on on somebody's server, uh, such that people are uh, can can go in and download it or or watch it and stream it. Like it just it uh, seems to me like those sorts of things would all be packaged up within. Uh, within a, a services offered from like Amazon or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know the logistics of it all, but uh, I can say this, man, if I had to rank the, the most important cartoons of my life, 
I think in some short order, you would have the X-Men, Spider-Man, Transformers, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and then there's probably some wiggle room for number five. Like, I don't know. I don't quite know what number five would be. Maybe David the Gnome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> give me give me a five again off the top of your head. They just say it for me again. The five? Yeah, uh, what was your five? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, the mm. X-Men, Spider-Man. Uh, mm. What was the other one I said? I know I said uh, X-Men, Spider-Man, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, said? I literally Sorry. just said it. Scotty, do you remember what I just said? <laughs> <laughs> no, was it Batman? Uh, Batman would would definitely be one, but that wasn't in there. Oh, Transformers—that's what it okay. was. It was Transformers. Um, I would, I would, I would put. You could put Batman in there. I watched the hell out of Batman when I was a kid. Uh, Ooh. that would that would probably be a fair number five over David the Gnome. But I did watch David the Gnome a lot too. So <laughs> I mean, that was a great that was a great show, man. People don't talk enough about how Nickelodeon had some of the jams. When we were kids, dude. I, never, I never got into the Nickelodeon stuff. It wasn't for me. I by that stage, I'd, I'd sort of gone past my like <coughs> my development. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd but moved keep on. in mind, I was also a really young kid that enjoyed watching like old episodes of like leave it to beaver green acres mr ed like i enjoyed watching like old episodes of that stuff even when i was like 10 11 years old so i like to think i made up for it even though i was watching david the gnome crap <laughs> but eureka's castle oh that was another great one Yes. Eureka's castle. Do 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 do. Yeah. <laughs> but but what would be your five? <laughs> I, I don't know, but I just I just like to hear you sing cartoon songs. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of it's sort of become a a a, 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 a tradition on the podcast. Josh singing <laughs> yeah. cartoon songs, as, man. As a tradition, it's starting to become a tradition. I have, um, well, I have um, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles van DVD set. It's the van, and, and then you take off the top of the van, and inside are um, all the different uh, seasons of the show, which that thing had way more seasons than I really realized. That show was on the air forever. Um, but uh, I have I have that, and I've, I've been meaning to, like, sit down and legitimately watch, like, everything of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, but I just, I haven't done it yet. I'm, I'm still watching the X-Men, the animated series, because I've got that just hooked up. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, I, 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 those would be my top five cartoons. So send us yours, if you, if, if you remember. Man, uh, look, I, w- I watched a lot of cartoons as a kid, like a lot of kids did, but... Uh, I, to, to, you know me, I struggle to nail down top fives, man, simply because. Well, I just went uh, no particular order. Yeah, no, not even in an order, but I, it's just very difficult for me. I think, I, I think it's because I have so much like pop culture in my head that, you know, to go back into the annals of time of what I've 
what I've enjoyed. I have I have very broad tastes, as you know. Like the, I'm not just like a strictly one sort of uh, hobby kind of guy. So like it's very difficult for me. Like when you when you ask me that question, my mind darts back to like Hanna Barbera, and then it, it mm. jumps full. It jumps forward. The Jetsons and Flintstones were important too. Yeah, I completely forget about the stranglehold that Hanna Barbera had on the cartoon world there for a while. Mm. Yeah, you know, like you know, Huckleberry Hound, Quick Draw McGraw, like there's two more, you know, and we haven't even touched on like Looney Tunes. So, yeah. Yeah, you're probably right, man. I watched a lot of Roadrunner and and Speedy Gonzalez when I was a kid. Oh yeah, man. Sam as well. I used to look forward to Speedy Gonzalez. Yeah, yeah. Like it's very difficult, like to 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 go through. Retrospect. It's a pretty racist cartoon. But the thing is this, what does make it easier, I dare say now, and I'm sure there might be some people who do disagree with this, but I feel like that era, like obviously the early early days of, of animation, like Disney, Looney Tunes, Hanna-Barbera, fast forward to like the end of the 2000s when X-Men was wrapping up, I feel like that was that was the pinnacle of, of, of cartoons. Like... You Saturday morning TV was a thing. We've discussed this before on the pod, um, and you know, and cartoons were used to for all different reasons to sell toys or you know to fill in time or whatever. But now I, I don't feel like kids of today have that the, the same cherished memories of cartoons that we do. And I think there's younger kids than you and I, of course, who grew up in like the Nickelodeon area and they love like Hey Arnold and, and all that sort of stuff, which we, I didn't personally get into. But I feel like after that, I feel like the drop off is heavy. Yeah. I feel like that's probably the case. Mm. Like kids cartoons and kids toys just aren't as legit as they once used to be. I strongly feel that. And I could do an entire episode dedicated to why, but I just, I feel like kids' toys and cartoons have taken a sharp drop off. And maybe that's because now kids would rather, I don't know, they'd rather game. They'd rather get up on a Saturday morning and game, you know, Fortnite is available and and so on and so forth. Like, I don't think kids that young are playing League of Legends yet, but what do I know? Um, Yeah. I think gaming is is definitely impacted that. I think it's just also a sign of the time you know, and, and how things evolve, entertainment evolves, and you know, dip, and you know, the world evolves. But uh, I feel like we were spoiled uh, as kids, and I'm glad we were. To, I'm glad to say that you know we we were able to grow up in that in that era of, of the golden era of, of, of animation on TV. If you ask me, yeah. I, I I certainly agree with you. I, I think that that's really like <laughs> there's so much that transpired in television between like the time you're talking about it, in that era that you're talking about. Just just we were spoiled for choice, as you said, you know, we 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 had everything, you know, I mean, back then. 
you could walk into a, 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 a grocery store and there were magazines out the wazoo dedicated to gaming and all sort of like, you know, GamePro, IGN. Like, I mean, you you were spoiled for choice back then. And uh, it certainly makes me nostalgic to think about it and how much cool stuff there was back then. And man, yeah, I, if I had a time machine, I'd go back and spend one day as a kid again, just to, just to relive some of that stuff. Just one day. Cause that's probably about all I could take. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, before we get out of here, man, uh, any last thoughts on, uh, on the old uh, X-Men? No, I think I think uh, I, I think uh, that uh, we, we've we've sort of covered covered the spread over the course of the show, and um, I'm actually my my last thought is that I'm going to uh, get out of bed after recording this and uh, head downstairs and uh, chuck on the the other DVD that I'm still yet to watch and uh, eat some breakfast cereal, and that's going to be my morning. Yeah, I'm uh I'm likely going to curl back up with the book and continue reading about how they created the show or per perchance I'll uh I'll uh pull up some comics and start reading more on War of the Realms. Uh got a little bit more to finish there and uh yeah, they're they're ending a lot of comics, so that makes me sad. Uh so I'm trying to uh, uh but um yeah i i i uh i get nostalgic just thinking about the x-men so i'm glad we did this episode it was a lot of fun man yep so um you know where to find us on Twitter by now, so we'll dedicate the end of this episode to, to, to encouraging people uh, to follow X-Men, the animated series, X-Men, at X-Men TAS on Twitter and Instagram. Um, like they said, you can find them at previously on X-Men at, on Facebook, and you can go to xmentas.com uh, and find out more about buying the book. Um, yeah, find me on Twitter at fight on twist and you can find Adam on Twitter at H O W S I T O Howzito. So, uh, we will be back. Um, not, we will be back next week with, uh, thoughts on, uh, Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Spider-Man far from home. Oh, yes, yes. Yes, yes, indeed. All right, let's let's focus on that next week. So, Spider-Man, and since uh, I already know what's going to go down, well, uh, hang on a second. Wait, wait, wait. Before we before we delve, it, like before we just touch on that, when does it come out in the states? When does the movie drop? Uh, July first. And what day is that? July second. I'm not sure. Oh, I'm far from home. Release date. Uh, release is July second. July second. Yeah. Okay, and so do you know what? Okay, so I know here that it's actually releasing on a Monday of all days. 
Yeah, it's uh, releasing on a Monday here, too. Hey, what's up with that? I don't know. Yeah, that's odd. That's odd. So the thing is, um, we record on a Monday, so we're going to have to work around it. Yeah, um, we'll work around this. Uh, that is... <laughs> Okay, so apparently, do you want to know what Spider-Man Spidey Sense is called? And I don't know how somebody didn't screen this. No, I don't want to know anything. I don't want to know nothing. Dude, you kind of do. Why? Because it's not amazing. Like, it's not like you're going to be like, yeah, that's awesome. Like... I, I mean, if you truly don't want to know, I won't tell you. There's already an article on it. Like, uh, I, I haven't been reading any media about it, so I'm going to try and avoid everything. I'll, I'll let it. I'll, I'll let it. Uh, let it come to me when the, when I see the film, which, oh. which by the way, uh, is dropping here on July 1st. Yeah, so I already know what what goes down. I already know. Uh, all right, and I I know I know what's coming next in phase four. So we're not doing this. I'm not talking. La 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 la. la, la. <laughs> but we'll be back to talk about it once everybody has seen it, and then yeah, we'll we'll get into some of the specifics of 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 Los Speederman uh, after we've both seen it. So uh, yeah, we will be back uh, after we've seen it. It will be kind of the next podcast. Um, so there may be a little bit of a lull in between this one and the next one, but we just want to have some content. Uh, but when we do come back and we have seen it, it will be a uh, Spider-Man spoiler heavy uh, conversation. Uh, one last one last quick note, man. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the tease that Marvel did turning out to be a J.J. Abrams uh, comic book? <laughs> okay. Firstly, the tease. I, obviously, I saw it. I, I didn't get all all. Uh, you didn't get all worked up like IGN did with their petty uh, article. Where we we guessed wrong, so it's it was a horrible campaign. No, I didn't get worked up about. It. I saw it like gone are the days where I'm a massive Spider-Man fan. I'm still a Spider-Man fan, but I don't read his books. I don't really fan out over him I as a character. Anymore, but I, I do like the character. Don't get me wrong; I, I, I used to love the character, but I don't really. I'm neither here nor there. But when the announcement was that JJ Abrams was going to be doing a comic book with his son, my first response was like, "Eh, okay." My second response was, "Why is his son get, getting to do this?" And so I'm like, "Okay, am I missing something here? Is the is the son like?" An acclaimed writer or something. So I do nope. my googling. I do my googling. I do my googling, and I can't find anything attached to this kid's name. And I'm like, okay, so it's just a little bit of uh, a little bit of uh, nepotism then. Yep, a little yeah. bit of writers and creators who work their entire lives. Uh, yeah. Don't get handed a Spider-Man book. This kid has literally never even done an interview before. Uh, the New York Times interview announcing this was was his first interview ever. He even says so in the interview. Uh, and he's been handed a Spider-Man title. Um, I kind of find that weird. I find that insulting to uh, content creators who've been in Marvel for a long time. 
and would love yeah. to have written uh, a new Spider-Man book. Um, and if Marvel thought they were going to get one million buys out of this, they're probably not. No. Um, just the mere fact that this kid is being given a Spider-Man title ahead of people who've paid their dues is going to turn people off of buying this. And I know that Marvel was thinking like, hey, uh, you know, because that was the goal. They haven't really sold a million books in in a long time um, for for one title. And they they thought that this J.J. Abrams thing was going to be a. Uh, uh, a, the, a campaign that would get people interested in, in, in massive pre-orders on this Spider-Man, but uh, yeah, dude. Um, all uh, Depending on what it is, I may read it, but I don't ex- actually expect that book to last too long, if we're being honest. Well, is it, is it a mini-series or an ongoing series? It's going to be an ongoing. Wow. Yeah, wow. he's just been given a Spider-Man title. That yeah, look, look, the fan like the JJ Abrams fan in me would 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 be interested to read it. Don't get me wrong, his name attached to it does pique my interest. Will I think they sell a million copies of the first issue? Hell no, I don't no think they sell a million copies of any issue. To if we're being honest, like here's the thing: just because somebody like Tanahasi Coates has proven that just because you're a great writer does not mean you're a great comic book writer, like. Tanahasi Coates has done some really questionable things in the comics already. Um, and some of the decisions he's made just haven't read. Like, people are like, thank God they're finally putting the Black Panther back on Earth. Like, they did this really stupid intergalactic empire of Wakanda, and it was just dumb as hell. It was just. <laughs> it came out of nowhere. It was just really weird. It just. No, that's not why people read the Black Panther. Um, And he's done some fairly decent things with Captain America so far. But, you know, it shouldn't be that hit or miss with somebody who's as strong of a writer as he is, thus proving that not all writing translates. You know, not all writing is is linear. And J.J. Abrams may be a fantastic movie scribe, but... I, I don't know. Like, I, 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 I legitimately don't know. I'm saying that as an open-ended sort of thing. I, do, I don't know how good of a comic book writer he is. I guess we're going to find out together, aren't we? You know? Like, it's not like someone like... His Kevin kid being 21 and never having written a damn thing before, like, I mean... It doesn't give me the strongest like of of confidence in this book, but what I was about to ask you, like, what I was firstly say, and then ask you, like, I was going to say, like, it's not like with Kevin Smith where he's written multiple comics now. You know he's capable, you, and he comes from a comic book fandom background. You know, not just as a movie maker, but like with JJ, he's obviously in a movie or two or whatever. But with the kid. Like, has there been any sort of justification of his inclusion? Like, has there been a press release or anything in that interview that you you mentioned? Is there anything saying, is he a massive Spider-Man fan? Is he... That's not a justification to me. Like, I'm a massive Spider-Man fan, too. I didn't mean they should give me a a, a Spider-Man book. You know? I know. Is there any... any I've written more shit than he has. Julie noted. Has there been any like 
like lip service or justification that you've come across. I haven't a- seen any, no. Like, I mean, but, but if you're doing that, then you've already lost if you're Marvel. Like, if you're justifying this right out of the gate, then you've lost and you just need to admit it's a bad idea. So I don't mm-hmm. think Marvel is going to justify it. But no, I, I, ha- I haven't seen any reason why, other than being J.J. Abrams' kid, he would be getting this title, if that's what you're asking. I've, I've not seen anything official from Marvel, lip service or otherwise. Right. And I haven't seen a lot of backlash online, not, I guess because I haven't really been looking for it, but has, has there been uh, much fallout as a result that you've, you've yeah, come across? Yeah, I mean, pe- people are, are, are rightfully, like creators, are, are kind of peeved by this. I mean, it's a massive title to give somebody who's got no significant reason to have it. Yeah. <laughs> like... I I understand like there has been out there has been pushback like it's not been you know on on a otherworldly scale or anything of that nature but there's been there's been like uh, all you have to do is google it and it's pretty easy to find you know like I mean there's <clears throat> writers are definitely curious as to why this kid is being given a title of that caliber and and I am too I mean it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but oh, whatever. Look, uh, I, I asked the question online too, like in, in just a, on Twitter, because I saw, I think it was Dan, um, uh, not Daniel Rickman, but uh, Dan Slot um, had tweeted something about it, and I, I responded to it. I'm pretty sure it was Dan Slot. Uh, I responded to it, um, you know, uh, regarding like, uh, what we're talking about, like uh, maybe it wasn't Dan, it was someone else. But anyway, uh, my, my point is, is that like even if you know, if me who's not fully immersed into the, like um, every little nook and cranny of, of the comic book fandom online could could come up with that sort of same conclusion, then I can only imagine what the hardcoreest of hardcore fans. Of, of you know of jaded comic book guys on the internet would be saying you know what I mean right I mean it's I I don't what's your thought of it like oh I, I like like what I said man I, like nepotism is the first thing that came to mind like you know firstly it was like like I said I googled I was like is this kid known for writing anything because oh, I never heard about him and then not nah, couldn't find anything. So then I was like, well, this is just, you know, a little bit of, of, uh, it's, I, that's what I said on, on Twitter. I said, it's not what you know, it's who you know. You yeah. Know? And, and that proving, you know, just proving that old, old chestnut. I mean, <laughs> unfortunately it is what it is. And, and it, you know, when, <laughs> when you, <laughs> When you have a name like that and you have a name that commands that kind of respect, like, I mean, this, you know, dude, this could be something like a a stupid way to have convinced J.J. Abrams to do a Marvel film. Mm. You know, yeah. like, hey, my kid wants to get into comic book writing. 
do that and I'm happy to to do a Marvel film, you know, like I mean, he's already attached to Star Wars projects. Um it, it make totally he's got a functioning relationship with Disney. Um uh so it wouldn't surprise me at all if if this were a way to give JJ Abrams something so that he does something down the line. Like yeah. if JJ Abrams ends up directing a Marvel movie, you can probably look back at this and say this 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 helped grease the wheel. Yeah, you you're probably right, man. So time will tell, time will tell. On yep. that note, let's I get out of here, dude. Yeah. Let's get the hell out of here. Yeah. Uh, so we will catch you guys next time. Uh, again, I uh, want to thank our guests, uh, Eric and Julia Leewald, uh, for their time and really just being their, their time, their honesty, and, and yeah, be willing to tell us and share with us so many great stories. So, all right, guys, uh, for Adam, for myself, uh, for Adam, I am Josh, and I want to thank Scotty again uh, for our producer. Yep. Uh, we'll catch you next time here on Third and Nerd.